torment me. Don't torment me. Now, I want you to see the contrast behind this moment and then what happened in the last chapter. Because at the end of the last chapter, the disciples on that boat, terrified of the storm, say, who is this? And then Jesus arrives in this land and this demon-possessed man, this broken, tormented man, he's not confused about who Jesus is. He runs over, falls down straight away and that evil spirit says, I know who you are. Don't torment me. Because darkness is terrified of Jesus. Evil spirits are terrified of him because they're nothing compared to him. So small, like a pale blue dot, just like in that space picture. Now Jesus frees this man from his affliction and his suffering and his torment with just a word. What he does is he, he commands the evil spirit to leave him, and in a moment it does. It actually says it has to ask him permission because it's completely under his thumb. And Jesus sends it into a herd of pigs, and the pigs run into a sea. Uh, and so this causes a lot of commotion, and people from the cities come, and they try and find out what's happening. And this is, this is what we're told happens next. In verse 15, there the people from the cities come to Jesus, and they saw the demon-possessed man the one who had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind and they were afraid. Same thing that happened on that board. These people who were so terrified of this man, tried to bind him, couldn't do it. All of a sudden now they see him sitting there in his right mind, clothed, healed, restored and they're terrified. said at the start that there's a fear that Jesus brings and there's a fear that Jesus relieves. Well, the fear that Jesus brings is that he, like a lion, is this man who is so much more powerful than we that when we get in his presence, it's intimidating. It's frightening. We all love to look at a lion through the glass at the zoo. No one wants to get in the cage and sit down next to it. That's what it's like for these people. They know this man. They know they've been able to do nothing to help him. And then all of a sudden, a man comes from Galilee, gets off the boat, and with one word, puts this man in his right mind, liberates him from all of his torment and pain, heals him, That was frightening. So he's the fear that's relieved. Fear that's relieved is this fear that what torments us is too great for Jesus to deal with. Jesus gets rid of that in an instant. There's nothing too powerful for Jesus to confront and deal with. There's no darkness that we face that's too great for him. There's struggles and burdens in this room today that I know because I have some of them too that we feel are too big for Jesus. I can't bring this to him. He, this, is, this is too big for him. This situation in my life, this addiction that I'm struggling with, this, this brokenness that I have in my life, this relationship, this, this compulsive behavior, or this habit in my life, it's too, it's too much for Jesus. This story exists to tell us there's no level of torment or darkness in your heart that Jesus can't deal with. We don't have to be a people afraid to bring ourselves before Jesus because he might not be able to help us. There's nothing he can't help us with. That's what Mark wants to make clear. Whatever it is this morning that you feel powerless to face and resolve, Jesus wants to face it for you. Story ends when Jesus uh, is begged by the people to leave. Tells us, starting in verse 17, they begin to beg Jesus to depart from that region because they're so terrified of this man. They beg him to leave. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might go with him. And Jesus didn't permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends, tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And so he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. So let's just pause for a minute. Jesus arrives in the land of the Gerasenes, immediately meets this man and then is immediately leaving. 
So who did Jesus go to the land of the Gerasenes for? Just this guy. This one guy that no one else cared about, no one else saw him, Jesus saw him. And Jesus traveled an entire ocean, or an ocean, a sea, to be with this man. Do you know that Jesus has traveled across the sea of eternity to come to you today? To find you where you feel powerless and show you that he's powerful? And then, this is such a great picture of the call to all of us as Christians, because what does Jesus do? The man, so lost in Jesus, says, I just want to be with you, I want to go with you, and Jesus says, no, what I want for you to do is I want you to take your story of what I've done for you, and I want you to tell everyone else. Go and tell everyone else around here what God's done for you, how he's had mercy on you, how he's loved you. That's what Christians are supposed to do. We're supposed to be the people that go out and tell people what God has done for us, how he's loved us and cared for us and healed us. Jesus isn't done yet, though. We haven't seen everything. He's also going to show us that he has power over disease. Now, I am, uh, I'm a pretty uh, clumsy guy, uh, and uh, when I was younger, another story from my youth, I had a French horn. Now, if, if you know anything about the French horn, as an adult, you're like, that's a respectable instrument. As a teenager, you say, get this thing away from me. I'll never get a girlfriend as long as I'm carrying this. And so I didn't like my French horn. I was upset about it. I got put on it by some teachers. Uh, and so one day I was being particularly careless with my French horn. I was trying to leave the house and I'm swinging it around. And all of a sudden there's a French, hall, French horn-sized hole in my mom's drywall. And so I'm panicked now. And I'm thinking, okay, I've got to hide this, right? I've got to get rid of this before my mom finds out. So I'm thinking through all the things you can do. Sometimes there are things in our life that we feel like we have to hide, And in this next chapter of, or this next part of chapter five, we're gonna see someone who feels like they need to hide brokenness from Jesus. Here's what happens next. Mark 5, 22 and 29. Jesus has just come back from the land of the Gerasenes. As soon as he reaches the opposite shore, there came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And so he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians, who had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, even if I touch his garments, I'll be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. This woman was trying to hide from Jesus. What happened was Jesus arrived back on the shore and this guy Jairus, who is the leader of the synagogue, had ran up to Jesus and said, my daughter is about to die. I need you to come right now. Otherwise, this is gonna be over. So Jesus, being full of compassion, he starts going. And there's crowds of people following him. Probably hundreds of people because everybody wants to see Jesus do another miracle. Everybody knows at this point all these reports about this this prophet from Galilee who can do amazing things. So they're all coming. And what happens is as that crowd is traveling, a woman kind of sneaks in at the back. She's hiding herself. And what we're told about this woman is that she, just like that man in the land of the Gerasenes, is suffering terribly. She's been bleeding for 12 years And she's seen doctor after doctor after doctor and none of them have been able to help her. And in fact, we're told it's gotten worse. Not only has it gotten worse, but now she's bankrupted herself. She's given every penny she has to try and solve this. You ever felt like you have tried every single path you've got to find healing and you just can't find it? 
You've given everything you've got. And so she sneaks up. Now, why does, why does this woman sneak up to Jesus? Why doesn't she just come up to him and ask him like Jairus did? Jairus just walked up to Jesus and said, hey, can you heal me? Well, unlike Jairus, who's the leader of the synagogue, this woman is in a very, very unpleasant situation. See, in ceremonial law in Israel, if you were menstruating, if you were bleeding, you were considered unclean. You couldn't touch other people. You had to be moved away from them for a certain period of time. And this woman was living that endlessly because her bleeding wasn't stopping. So she was ceremonially unclean. People couldn't touch her. They couldn't be near her. And the way that the Jewish people thought about this is if, if they touched someone who was unclean, they would become unclean. It's like a virus that would just spread. And so she knows, I can't, I can't say this out loud because he would never want to touch a person like me. Because he's a, he's a teacher, he's a holy man, and a holy man doesn't want to become unclean by touching me. So I'm going to have to sneak in. I'm going to have to find my way in. But this is what happens. It says in verse 30 and 34, Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched me? Now, just so you know, the disciples and everybody else around him probably would have looked at Jesus at this point like he was an idiot. Because there are hundreds of people, everybody's touching him. Everyone is touching him. There's probably people all up in his business, in his space. And Jesus says, which one of you just touched me? His disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? What are you, mad? And he looks around to see who had done it. But guess who knows who he's talking about? Woman. She knows who he's talking about. She knows exactly who he's talking about. And the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. So this woman, she would have known exactly who he was talking about. Can you imagine being in that space? You're trying to hide because what is wrong with you is so unpleasant to everyone else around you. They can't know about it. So you're quietly trying to go in there. And all of a sudden, Jesus stops the whole crowd. Now, everybody is in a rush right now. Jairus' daughter is dying. They have to get there quick. So everyone's rushing, and Jesus says, everybody stop. What's just happened? That would have been an incredibly embarrassing moment. You're that woman, you know, the whole crowd of all kinds of emotions have just stopped, and now every, he's going he's to out me. He's going to expose me in front of everyone. So that's the fear that Jesus can bring. We are very fearful he's going to expose us. We're frightened that everyone's going to see what's going on inside of our hearts and our minds. But the fear that he relieves is this fear that what we're dealing with is too unpleasant to bring to Jesus openly. He gets rid of that in a moment. And here's how he does it. Jesus stops. He could have acknowledged this secretly. He could have kind of just turned and give her a quick wink and was like, yeah, me and you know what just happened. But he doesn't, he stops the entire crowd, he says, everyone, including Jairus, by the way, who's desperate to save his daughter, he says, stop. And this woman, she comes over, she's terrified, she puts herself down, she says, please, please, I'm so sorry. And what does Jesus say? He says, daughter. Everyone would have heard those words. Would have seen Jesus. And by the way, he should have become unclean. He should have said as a, as a holy man, how dare you make me unclean? He doesn't say that, he says, daughter. Daughter, he speaks to her lovingly and tenderly in front of everyone, so everyone else sees it too, and he says, your faith has made you well. He makes an example of it, says, this woman has done something really good, really right. Can I just remind you this morning, if there's something in your heart that you feel is too ugly to bring out 
and deal with with Jesus? Dear friend, you're wrong. There's nothing too ugly for Jesus to address in your life. You know, whenever my kids get a, a scrape or a cut on themselves, they immediately kind of recoil and they, they close it up. They don't want anyone to touch it. It becomes very frustrating. But I know as their parent who loves them, I need to get to that. I need to clean it. I need to help you. It'll be, it'll be worse if you hide that from me. See, this woman was dealing with torment of her body from her illness, from disease, but she was also dealing with torment from feeling like she couldn't talk about it, that she couldn't deal with it with anyone because of the way people looked at her. And Jesus wants to deal with both kinds of torment. He wants to heal her physically, but he also wants to liberate her from this feeling of isolation and abandonment. Some of you have sat with burdens and pain, isolated from other people because you believe no one wants to look at it. Jesus does. Jesus does. And he wants you to hear the word son or daughter publicly so that you know that you're not too unpleasant to him. What's going on in your heart and your mind and your life is not too unpleasant for him. It's not too dark for him. Bring your burden to him. Jesus still isn't done. He's gonna show us that he has power over death as well. While Jesus is still speaking to this woman, while he's still caring for her, someone runs up from Jairus' house. We're told this. There came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, don't fear, only believe. Now this is the most important part of the story for us because it's closest to what a lot of us feel today. We hear these amazing stories about Jesus being a healer and people, uh, someone who sets people free. And then we say, why didn't you do that for me, Jesus? That's what Jairus would have been asking. You just stopped to heal this woman. I told you my daughter is dying and you just let her die? Why would you do that? Why would you do that, Jesus? Haven't we all been in that place? Where we said, why did you stop? Why would you delay? Why can't this story be my story? You know, I see a lot of things as a pastor that are not pleasant to see. I, uh, I started serving as a chaplain recently at Delno Hospital because I wanted to, I felt it was important as a pastor to be near people who are hurting. You never get called into a hospital for good reasons. And my first call at the hospital was a couple who'd lost their baby at 36 weeks of pregnancy. The most horrible I mean, just seeing the pain in that mother and father's eyes. I've never seen anything like it. I've never felt anything like it, thank God. I had no idea what to say to them. Because you know what their question was? Why would God let that happen? That's what Jairus feels. That's my daughter, Jesus. That's a little girl. I don't know why Jesus allows the things that he does. But I know what he says. When I don't know what to say as a pastor, when I'm like, I- I've got no words, you know what Jesus says? Don't be afraid. Believe. That's what he says to Jairus. He turns to him and he says, Jairus, I know what you're feeling right now. I know you are afraid and you're lost and you're brokenhearted, but trust me. And they keep walking. He says to Jairus, don't look at the tragedy, look at me. Don't look at that tragedy, look at me. 
When he ended in Mark 5, 39 to 42, he says, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Back in these days, they would, uh, they would hire professional mourners for someone who's died. So they knew what dead bodies looked like. And Jesus comes in and says this absurd statement. He says, oh, she's just sleeping. And so they laugh at him and they mock him. They make fun of him. Jesus is, knows she's dead. And they know he's, she's dead. So this is absurd. You might be a great teacher. You might be a great healer. But come on, this, this is over. It's over. But he put them all outside and he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was, taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means little girl, I said you arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age and they were immediately overcome with amazement. So what Jesus does is he goes in and he, he grabs this little 12-year-old girl's hand. And again, by the way, if you touch the dead body, you become ceremonially unclean. Another example of where Jesus is not afraid to touch things that other people are. To hold it by a hand, and he says, Talitha Kumi. Now, Talitha Kumi is an Aramaic phrase, and we're told that it means uh, a little girl, I said, you arise. But th- there's a little bit more to it than that. Talitha was kind of this diminutive kind of pet name. Parents might say to their children, Talitha, it's kind of like, honey or sweetheart. And when he says arise, he's not saying come back from the dead. He's just saying wake up. And so essentially what Jesus is saying to this little girl, he's getting her by the little hand. And he says, hey, sweetheart, it's time to wake up. Time to wake up. And what happens? Is there a, like a, a prayer battle right there where Jesus is, is saying it over and over and over and then eventually she comes around? Is he sweating and yearning and begging God? Jesus just says wake up and immediately she gets up right there. See, that's why Jesus said she's just sleeping. It's not because he was stupid or he wanted to be insensitive. It's because to Jesus, death is just one more enemy that bends to his will immediately. To Jesus, death is just like waking someone up from a sleep. And, and the real picture, right, in these last few verses is this, is that no matter how far gone something is, no matter how terrible, how tragic, how appalling, it's not too far gone for Jesus, is it? I mean, how, how much further can it go than being dead? And still Jesus fixed that in a heartbeat. Do you see the power of this man? Do you see the glory of this savior? That there is no enemy that can hold him back or stop him or slow him down or trouble him or frighten him? Don't you want a savior like that? For those of you in this room today who are afraid that things are too far gone, there's no such thing when Jesus is concerned. No such thing. Don't be afraid, just believe. And I know how difficult that is. I know that no sermon or, or nice ministry event is ever gonna be able to make those words stick in your heart quickly. But I want you to hear what Jesus says and I want you to let him speak those words to you this morning. If you are afraid, it's too far gone. Don't be afraid. Trust him. We've covered a lot today, so I wanna just really quickly go over what chapter five has, has taught us as we finish, because it's important. What do we learn about King Jesus in this chapter? Firstly, we learn that there's no place he won't go to reach someone. He'll go anywhere. He'll find them. He'll find those broken and tormented people and he will run to them. Let him relieve you of the fear that you are too far away from him. 
Second of all, there's no dark power that he cannot drive out. Let him relieve you of the fear that what you're facing is too strong. Thirdly, there's no brokenness he cannot heal and restore. Let him relieve you of the fear that what you face can't be exposed. And lastly, there's no desperate condition he cannot deliver us from. Let him relieve you of the fear that it's too late or too far gone because there is no such thing. It's only in the person of Jesus that we find a king who is powerful enough to confront and defeat everything that is tormenting us. Hell, disease, death. If he's the one, as the disciples asked, who then is this? If he is the one that has power over hell, demons, and, uh, hell disease, and death, then what is it you think is going on in your life that he can't deal with, that he can't face? What have you stopped believing God can do? All three of these stories, Jesus comes to hopeless causes, people that no one else can help, and he proves that he can. He can. He's coming to you today. He's finding you on your shore, or in your crowd, or in your home, and he's telling you that he is strong enough. Don't be afraid, just believe. I'm gonna close worship this morning by coming to communion. Um, The Lord's table is a place where we remember what he can do. And if you didn't receive one of these little cups when you came this morning, if you wanna just put your hand up and the ushers will be able to bring one to you. Um, And I just wanna remind you as we go into this as well, I'm sure that there's a lot of people that come from a lot of different faith traditions. At Chapel Street, we believe that the Lord's table, communion, belongs to Christ. It doesn't belong to us as Chapel Street. So you don't need to be a member here. You just need to trust that Jesus gave himself for you. If you're a believer, if you trust Jesus, then this is for you, and I invite you to come and remember him with us this morning. What Jesus did when he taught his disciples about communion, he said, I want you to do this and remember me. That's why we do it. We want to remember him. And especially in moments where we feel tormented and alone, we want to remember him. And what he did is he took, he took some bread And he broke it with the disciples and he passed it around and he said, this bread is my body that's broken for you. Take it in remembrance of me. If you want to peel that first layer, take this bread and take it in remembrance of the one whose body was broken for you. Let's take it today. Jesus had done that and prayed with his disciples, he did something else. He took a cup. He said, this cup is my blood. It's part of a new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. I want you to take this and drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink it this morning in remembrance of him. Let's pray. Father, we've just had what many call the St. Jude chapter of the New Testament. It's a chapter about hopeless causes. A man that no one could help, a woman that no one could help, a child that no one could help, but you could. There's no such thing as a hopeless cause to you. And Lord, when we take your body, when we take the cup, 
and we remember you, we are remembering the one who makes the impossible possible. We're remembering the one who has power over hell, disease, and death. The one who gave himself for us so that we do not need to be afraid. We only need to believe. Father, put that deep in our hearts this morning and remind us of who you are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.